to have your Bibles with you this evening. Open up Jeremiah chapter 7, and we're going to continue working our way through the book of Jeremiah. We began the book of Jeremiah with the call, chapter 1, and then for the next uh, several chapters, all the way to about chapter 25, we're going to focus on uh, God's charges to the nation of Judah. What's the reason behind the judgment that's coming. <clears throat> so we first started with uh, the fact that they had forgotten God. They were leaving him out of their life. The second thing, they had failed to repent. The third thing, they had filled their hearts with wickedness. Fourth thing was that they had forsaken the Lord. Uh, and the fifth, they had fallen for a false peace. And tonight, his charge will be they have a false religious system. We have this tendency within uh, faith, within the Christian walk, to, to allow what's true to become a, uh, just a series of, of um, things we do. Uh, I pray a prayer, to ask Jesus into my heart, I get baptized, I go to church every Sunday, I check off the list, and as long as my list is checked off, it's real. And God's charge for the children of Israel was, yeah, that's a false system. They were trusting in the temple. We may, we, we may have different things that, that we may trust in. And maybe the church, we may trust in baptism. We may trust in a prayer. But the question is, are we trusting in Jesus Christ? Are we submitted to him? And it's the same thing for them. <clears throat> were they submitted to God or were they... Um, you know, just punching a card. I did this, I did this, I did this, and now I'm good for the rest of the week. And so this is the, the charge for them. This uh, chapter, <clears throat> excuse me, is called the Temple Sermon because the, basically the idea is that the, the children of Israel in the land of Judah were putting their trust in the temple. We have the temple. God's not going to let anything happen to his temple, so we don't have to be afraid. Uh, even though the temple was at the time of, of the temple sermon being used to worship other idols. So if you could imagine, the temple set up, you had an outer court, inner court, um, then the actual building of the temple itself, and throughout the courts, rather than them being open in a place for people to gather for prayer, they were places where they would stand up other idols, to other gods, so that while you were there, you could pray to all the gods at once. Whatever you needed to do, you could, <clears throat> you know, it was uh, Walmart. You know, you just show up and you can get everything you need. You don't have to worry about going anywhere else. And so the Lord wants them to understand, look, your salvation isn't dependent on you having the temple. Or even the symbolism of God's presence being in your nation. If it's not real, it's false. Does that make sense? So this is a this is kind of the idea. Now, this sermon that uh, the Jeremiah is going to give, he's going to give somewhere after six oh nine. Six oh nine is when Josiah died. If you remember, Josiah is the last great reformer. Josiah comes through. Remember the story, Josiah, that a priest found a copy of the scripture, gave it to Josiah. Josiah read it, started a bunch of reforms. The priest who found it may have been Jeremiah's father. They certainly had the same name, although nothing in Scripture indicates this was the same guy. But 
but definitely had the same name. And if you remember when, Jer- uh, when Josiah died, Jeremiah sang at his funeral. So the services were conducted. Jeremiah was there, certainly a contemporary of Josiah. The point of the temple sermon is Josiah started all these good things and you guys were headed in the right direction. And then when he died, so did the attitude of reform. So did all of those changes. And so this brings about this time of of crisis. And what's happening in their world at the time that Jeremiah gives this is Babylon has just conquered Assyria. So Assyria was, you know, King Kong. And Babylon came along and unseated the king. Now Babylon's in charge. Josiah went out to to try to stop the king uh, or the pharaoh of Egypt from going to war. That's why he died. Now Israel, Judah is a vassal state of Egypt. But at the same time they're a vassal state of Egypt, Jehoiakim has been raised up by, by Pharaoh Necho. The Babylonian army is coming for Egypt. So Egypt is like the number one contender for the throne. So they're going to make sure that all the contenders are put down. And then shortly thereafter, within five, six years, Babylon's going to be outside the doors of Jerusalem. So as these things are coming out, Jeremiah goes to the temple area and he... And he shares this this message from Jeremiah 7. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, or the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter the gates to worship the Lord. So he's right there standing in the gates where the people would come in. Now whether this is uh, if you went today, it's not, uh, it wouldn't be the same as it is today, but the, the idea of Southern Steps, the Eastern Gate, you know, there were four entrances probably into the temple area. So whichever one the people frequented the most, that's where the prophet's going to go. And he's going to stand in the gate and he's going to share this prophecy that God had given them. So he wants them to hear, hear the word of God. So this is the call of every true prophet of God. He goes and he shares <clears throat> what God's word says. He goes and does what God has called him to do. It's not always what you want to do. Has anybody figured that part out yet? So sometimes the thing God calls you to is not the thing you're sitting around going, you know, this, this is what I want to do. Sometimes it's not. But if you're submitted to the king, what do you do when the king calls? Isaiah said, here am I, what? Send me, I'll go. I'll fulfill that part. So he's calling them, he's going to call them to change. What's another word for change? Repent, right? Change your direction. Look at verse 3. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. So there's a sense in which God is pronouncing judgment and and that's what's going to come but there's still the softness i guess in the message of god that says if you repent i'll relent if you'll change we don't we don't we don't have to go all the way down this road i've had this talk with my kids when they were little a million times every night for bed 
Must you choose to have a beating every night? Hey, tonight we don't have to do it. Let's just go to bed. And then it begins, right? All the, all the crazy stuff that, and you think, surely you remember from last night that this is not going to end well. Why, why does it have to end this way? It's the same way God is saying to the nation, right? Hey, why does this have to be this way? It doesn't have to. Change your way, amend your deeds, and I will let you dwell here in this place. In verse 4, he says, do not trust in these deceptive words. So Jeremiah is going to now speak what the other prophets were speaking. He's going to say, here's what they're saying. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm. The people were saying, this is God's temple, this is God's temple. There's no, no judgment's going to fall here. God's not going to allow the temple to be destroyed. Now we know how that works, right? He did allow it, didn't he? It's going to be destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And even when, understand please, Nebuchadnezzar came the first time, did not destroy the temple. Nebuchadnezzar came back for the second rebellion, did not destroy the temple. All the while, Jeremiah is saying, stop, 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 stop. Let's just go to bed. Just go to bed. Just do what God's telling you. The third time Nebuchadnezzar came, he destroyed the temple. So all along the way, when we come to Herod's temple, when we come to 70 AD, you have similar instances. You know, that Jesus said, look, you, this is your habit. You always reject the the prophets that have come to you. And because of this system of continuous rejection, you're going to find yourself in a place of judgment. And God's going to take... And really, it's symbolic. If you remember, when Jesus walked out of the temple, when he walked into the temple the first time, he said, my father's house is a house of prayer, but what? You've made it a den of thieves. We're going to hear that scripture tonight. And when he leaves it, he says to them, see, your house is left to you desolate. So when God leaves it, he, that, it's, that time, it's over. The temple's over. Now Paul is going to come on the scenes and say, where's the temple today? The church is the temple. What else? Your body is the temple, right? That, that God is taking up residence with you corporately as a church and in you individually as a, as a worshiper of the Lord. So God's saying, don't put your hope in the temple. Put your hope in repentance. Change your ways. And he lays out some very specific things to change, right? You should line this up with your newspaper and see if this is not the same things we need to amend. What is he? What's the first thing he says? He says, if you amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice... Do we in this nation truly execute justice? Does God want justice? <clears throat> so he says, amend your ways. What about, do you oppress the sojourner? The sojourner, that's the, the person traveling from another nation to your nation. The foreigner. Do you oppress him? Do you take advantage? Yeah, I, I'd say we're, we do that. Yeah, 
we do that. We we like we like to, you know. It was funny because uh, uh, I talked. Well, this is the second time this guy's going to come up in a message. Uh, he he probably is rolling over wherever he is right now. Ricky Gervais, when he did his thing for the Golden Globes, one of the one of the discussions that that he had is he's talking about Apple and this new movie or TV show. I don't I've never seen it. I don't know nothing about it that Apple has put together and how good the show is. And he says, it's crazy because you have this show done by a company who oppresses people around the world because they are making their, or buying their parts for their phones or TVs or whatever things they're doing from nations that use slave labor. And we're okay as long as the bottom line is good, right? You don't want to pay more for your Air Jordans, do you? Well, we can have a kid in the Philippines put them together who, you know, gets one piece of bread a day or something to work all day putting soles on shoes. But nobody wants to consider all of those things, right? Do, do we honestly think God doesn't see that stuff? He said to the nation, don't oppress the sojourner, don't oppress the foreigner, don't oppress the fatherless, Right? God says, pure and undefiled religion is this, that you take care of widows and, what's the other one? Orphans. So he says, hey, don't, don't oppress the fatherless or the widow. And the last one, or shed innocent blood in this place. And all the things that he's talking about to Judah, we do. Every single one of them. All, every single one of them is something. And so God's saying to them, hey, repent. Amend your ways. Stop doing this. Stop, stop uh, putting your head in the sand and pretending it's not going on. Start being a voice crying out in the wilderness. Make straight paths for the Lord. Isn't that what John the Baptist came doing? And when he gave that message, how did the people like it? Well, he ended up, uh, what, a foot shorter when they took his head? So, look. When you start to stand and say these things are wrong, how do we think everyone else takes that? Everyone else responds in the same way, really, that they responded to Jeremiah. They threw him in a pit to drown in mud, which I think would be a drag. I don't, drowning's not high on my list of ways to die, but drowning in mud is probably the least way of drowning. How do you breathe in mud? I just can't be good. So this is what happens. This is the attitude toward <clears throat> a place in rebellion against God to those who will be faithful to the Lord. What did the Lord say to his disciples? He said, see, I am sending you out as ravaging lions to tear apart the enemy. Is that what he said? Sheep among what? Wolves. So we know how that works, right? The sheep, <laughs> sheep don't tend to win that fight. Unless there's a whole lot of sheep, right? But that's what he said. This is what I want you to do. I want you to stand. It blesses God's heart when God's people stand up and say, you know, this is not okay. This is not okay. This is Jeremiah standing in a crowd, just kind of picture it, people rushing to the temple to do a religious duty, and Jeremiah standing there and saying, hey, instead of coming here to to do your prayers and do the religious thing, what if you repent? Amend your ways. Change 
your your attitudes. He says in verse 7, if you do that, verse 7, I'll let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave you of old to your fathers forever. So God said, look, I gave you the land forever, but I still it's still mine. You're living in my house, and if you won't follow if you won't follow my rules, then God says, I'm going to put you out. I'm going to put you out of the land. What happened to the Canaanites before Israel? He put them out of the land, right? He said, this is my land. I don't, I don't have to. I, I promise you all of our ideals about how patient we should be with people change when it's your house. When you have a house, another state away, and other people are living in it, and they're not paying rent, and they're tearing your house apart, how do you look at that? You would say, yeah, this has got to change. My mother, when she was probably in her 60s, probably, probably 12, 13 years ago, something like that, she, she bought... Her first house, after my dad uh, took off and, and got married and left mom behind, and mom settled for a cash number, I don't remember what it was, 40 grand or 50 grand, and she went and bought a car. Had macular degeneration, so she wrecked the car like two weeks later, and then there went the 50 grand out the window. And uh, she bought that car, and she bought a house. And uh, was not the greatest house, but it was a house, right? Two bedroom, nice place. Um, and uh, she decided to move up to Arizona or down to Arizona. I don't know how that worked from where we were. Anyway, she decided to move to Arizona. And she she went and uh, she said, I, I just want to I just want to be good to somebody, somebody who needs a place. So I'm going to. Ran it to to these guys, and these guys moved in, never paid once. Shredded the house. Mom couldn't make the payments because they weren't paying their rent. So she lost the house and spent the rest of her life living in apartments until Alzheimer's put her in a home. So when that's you, you're not, oh, come on, what a mean landlord. Yeah, no, you're not. You're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And if God is the owner, does he not have the right to, to say who lives in his house? Well, let's ask this. Who does the earth belong to? What does the book of Psalms say? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, everything in it. it all belongs to the Lord. So God's saying, look, you can live here as long as you want. Just repent. Change your direction. And he says in verse 8, here Jeremiah talking to the crowd, he says, Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. The reason why you're going into judgment is because you believe the lies of the false prophets. Now, how will you know the difference between the lies of the false prophets and the true? One's going to correspond with the word. That's, how, that's our anchor. That's our anchor. What, what lines up with what God's word is saying? Being Bereans, men and women willing to search the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. So in verse 9, he says, Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? 
Is this how you're going to live? Because all of those things were going on in the temple area. So it's right there, you know, there's the temple where, where the priest goes with the offering once a year. There's the bronze altar, all that stuff. And then right outside are every other idol you could imagine. So we can just mix them all in. God's saying, is this what you're going to do? Is this, are you going to be uh, stealing, murdering, committing adultery, swear falsely? Still today you have people say things like, well, we're not under the law. Well, does that mean that the law is not correct? If we're not under the law, does that mean it's okay to lie, steal, murder, or approve of others who do so? All of those things, they're not okay. So the Lord's saying, will you do this? And then he says in verse 10, come and stand before me in this house. So get the picture. Jeremiah standing in the gate, people coming in to worship, entering into an outer courtyard full of idolatry. Other altars, other places where they can also bring offering. So they'd pass by all those things and they'd make an offering to Baal. Maybe over there they'd make an offering to Ashtoreth. Walk into the next court. Maybe they there they would pray to Yahweh. And God saying, do you think I don't see this? I, I, I don't understand what's going on. You do all of these things. And then you come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered? You're not delivered. Only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, look at the phrase, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. So it's, it's, it's just, hey, we want to make sure we haven't offended any God. The only God you offend that way is the real one. So the Lord says, look, this, you say this is your deliverance, but, but you don't actually believe any of this stuff. You're just marking a, a, a checklist. Did this, did this, did this, did this, but you're not amending your ways. You are a murderer who won't stop murdering. An adulterer who won't stop adultering, if that's a word. You're a liar who won't stop lying. You're not changing because of a desire to follow the Lord. If you follow the Lord, there's a sense. It doesn't mean we never fail, but there's a sense in which we leave those actions behind to do what he does, right? And... God has provided a way. He provided a sacrificial system in the Old Testament for people to be made right. But you know there was no sacrifice for willful sin. If you did something you knew was wrong, there was no sacrifice for that. That's why Jesus said, two men came to the Lord to pray. One beat his breast and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. What does that mean? There's no offering. I don't, I, there's nothing I can bring, God. Have mercy on me. Forgive me. And Jesus said, that's the one who goes away justified. Because in his heart, he's submitted to the king. His desire is to follow the king. So the natural product that comes from the life of someone following the Lord is we walk like him, talk like him. We love what he loves, hate what he hates. That should be part of what it is. To follow the Lord. So the Lord is saying, I have seen 
all these things. So in verse 12, he says, so go to the place that was in Shiloh. You guys remember Shiloh? So Shiloh was where the tabernacle settled. The tabernacle never settled in Jerusalem. So when the, the children of Israel settled, they settled in Shiloh. And Shiloh was where the Ark of the Covenant was, even all the way up to the time of Eli. Remember Eli? Little Samuel saying, uh, Eli, did you call me? And Eli saying, no, I didn't call you. You remember the story? And then finally, Eli says, you know, next time say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. So the calling of Samuel. And Samuel's the last judge and an early prophet who anoints somebody famous. You remember that person? He's going to anoint Saul and he's going to anoint another, David, right? So we have, so this is, and so during all those times, the tabernacles in Shiloh, God's presence there in the tent, which by the way is the only thing God ever said, build this. Uh, David wanted to build the Lord a temple. God, God said, okay, build the temple. But, but uh, the thing that God, when Moses walked down, from receiving the Ten Commandments, he also held under his arm the plans for the tabernacle. And everything about the tabernacle points to Messiah, points to Jesus. The way it's built, the way it's filled with gold and all this beautiful stuff, but it's covered with goat skin. So when you looked at it, it just looks like a tent. Just looks like everybody else. And you don't understand the difference how, why is that different than any other building until you did what? Until you went in. And when you went in, it was like, oh my goodness, look at this. Look at all the gold. Look at the silver. Look at all the beautiful things that are a part of this. And every single one of those things pointing to an attribute of God and, and, and uh, a part of who Jesus is. So the story of Shiloh is, he's saying, think about Shiloh. Shiloh's where the tabernacle dwelt. The building that God, you know, uh, sent plans for the construction of. He says, it's the place where I made my name to dwell at first. And see what happened to it because of the evil of my people. So how did things go with Shiloh? If you're putting your trust in a building, let's think back to the tabernacle. How'd that work out? In verse 13, he says, um, And now because you have done all these things, declares the Lord. And when I spoke to you, you persistently, uh, when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. And when I called on you, you did not answer. So here's his warnings from Shiloh. He's saying, look, remember Shiloh? They were like you. I would call, they wouldn't listen. I would talk, they wouldn't hear. I would try to draw them near, they wouldn't come near. They, they didn't want to be with me. Verse 14, therefore I will do to the house that is called by my name, and in which you trust, and to the place which I gave you and to your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. Ephraim was the northern kingdom. 150 years earlier, they went to captivity. So God says, same thing that happened to them is going to happen to you. The same thing that happened to Shiloh is going to happen to you. So in Psalm 78... Psalmist writes about what happened at Shiloh. It says, Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. 
They twisted like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places. That's idolatry. Uh, They moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, he was full of wrath, and he utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind, and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword, vented his wrath on his heritage, fire devoured the young men and women, uh, and the women had no marriage song. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. The idea is if God would destroy the city where the tabernacle and the ark were because of Israel's sins, why do you think he won't do this because you have the temple? Where is your hope? Is your hope in the living God or is it in a building? A building's just a building. It's just a thing. There's no power in the building. The only way, the only thing that makes the building special is the presence of God, right? If the Lord is in the house. <clears throat> As for you, he says, verse 16, he's talking to Jeremiah now. As for you, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them and do not intercede with me for I will not hear you. You can count, I think you can count on one hand the amount of times God says this to a prophet. Just don't pray for him anymore. Stop. Which means judgment's coming and I'm not going to change it. They, they're not going to turn. They won't repent. The offering is there, but God knows what's going to happen, right? So he says to Jeremiah, just stop praying for him. The reform that God needs from the hearts of the people of Judah are, is only going to occur when they go through the furnace of affliction. Anything short of the furnace of affliction, people don't change. We change in the furnace of affliction. We change when we go through hard things. We, we open up our ears and we begin to listen when we are, are struggling. And the same thing is true with them. So he says, don't stop Jeremiah, just stop praying for him. So Jeremiah was not super obedient in that. He's going to continue to to pray for him. And God doesn't rebuke Jeremiah, but he will say it again. Um, Verse 17, he says, Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem? So now the message that he gave to the people is over. Now this is a message from, from God to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, why are you praying for him? Look what they're doing. Look what they're doing in the streets. What are they doing? Verse 18, the children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, the women knead dough. They make cakes for the queen of heaven, and they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. So all those people walking in, right? This is not, you know, some somehow some pious thing. They, they were not ever, or at least at this time, were not fully committed to the Lord in any way. So we're going to go pray to Yahweh. We're going to go make an offering to Baal. We're going to make cakes for for uh, Ashtart, uh, who was the goddess of love and fertility. That's what most people say was the queen of heaven. We're going to make cakes for her. We're going to do all of these things on our way to church, on our way to worship. We're going to go pray. And on the way to pray, we're going to make sure that we haven't offended 
any of these other idols on the way. And the Lord says, Jeremiah, are you not watching? Do you not see what the people do? Verse 19, he says, Is it I whom they provoke, declares the Lord? Is it not themselves to their own shame? Isn't, isn't it indicative of where their heart is? What's really going on? People can say any words that they want to say. I can say anything. But where the rubber meets the road, where truth matches up with the things we say is in what we do, no? And the goal for a believer is not to say, well, I live a perfect life and I've never fallen and I've never stumbled. The goal of the believer is living in the reliance on the forgiveness of God by walking in repentance. By not holding on to our sin, but confessing it. By not uh, not allowing pride to be in the way and pretend that I didn't just do that or I didn't just think that or I didn't... I'm not struggling in this way, but rather just to be men and women who confess quick, receive forgiveness, live a life reliant on God's forgiveness, right? Isn't that how we get saved in the first place? When we come to Christ, is, is, is it he saves us because we're good? No, he, he saves us in spite of our wickedness, right? <clears throat> so being people who can confess that. Not as a crutch that says, I don't even have to try, right? Because we're following Christ. We want to follow him. We want to act like him. We want to talk like him. We want to be like him. But he's provided for our failure, for our weakness, because he said, Jesus himself, that the, that the spirit is willing, but... So he made provision for the flesh, right? He provided atonement so that that... So that that can be handled. So he's saying, is the problem not them? To their own shame. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, verse 20, Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, upon man and beast, trees of the field, fruit of the ground. It will burn and not be quenched. All of it is just a a picture of judgment. Fire is always used scripturally as a picture of judgment. I'm going to burn it up. It's all going to come down. It's all going to fall. It's an idea, picture of judgment. Whether or not it's, it's actually fire from heaven is less relevant than the idea that this is God's judgment. This is the challenge, if we're honest, for the United States of America. Because the question, at least for me, for the last, I don't know, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, going on 12 years, is are we under judgment? Is Are we under God's judgment? If we're not, We will be. And what's going to save us from judgment will not be whoever the next president is. What saves us from judgment is a people repenting. Amending their ways. Turning from the oppression. Turning from the shedding of innocent blood. That's what forestalls God's judgment. Now, I'm not saying that to say we shouldn't be involved in a political process. I'm just saying our Messiah has already come. His name's Jesus Christ. We need to hear him. Repent is the call that God was giving to the children of Israel. Look at verse 21. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifice and eat the flesh. For in the, in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers, 
or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices? This command I gave them. Obey my voice and I will be my I will be your God and you will be my people. What's he saying? I don't want your sacrifices. I want your obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey. Sacrifice became a ritual. Do you get that? So it became something like the church experienced the same things in uh, during the the times of uh, indulgences, right? The the Catholic Church was a great fundraiser. You want to have a great fundraiser? Sell the opportunity to sin. Okay, we're coming up to the weekend, and uh, man, I'd really like to have a good time this weekend, but I I struggle with guilt. Well, the that's <laughs> good, huh? I might be in trouble. <clears throat> so they said, "Here's what we'll do: you come up, and uh, we will uh, sell you an indulgence." So you can indulge this weekend. 20 bucks, you can indulge this much. 100 bucks, you can indulge this much. Look, I've been to the Vatican. They got plenty of money. Yeah, they, they're not. There's an old story, Thomas Aquinas, and I don't remember who the other guy was, were talking. And one of them said to the other, look at all the wealth that we have. No longer do we have to say silver and gold have I none. And I think Thomas Aquinas was a guy who answered and said, neither can we say, rise up and walk. So this is part of church history. I'm not trying to bash anybody else. I'm just saying this is what we did. The church, in the name of Jesus Christ, sold the opportunity to sin. And used used, uh, the power behind the church to take land and take people's stuff and that's just a part of history that's what happened but the lord what's the lord saying the lord is saying look don't do that don't do a ritual don't pay the the priest and and then do what you want or just say well i'll come and confess and everything will be okay don't do that to obey is better than sacrifice just do what i'm asking you to do And if you fall, who was it that Jesus had mercy on? Go back to the simple things that we know. He said, who does God justify? The tax collector who beats his breast and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the one he forgives. Not the the pious guy who said, God, I thank you that I'm not as bad as that guy. He has mercy on the one who says, nope, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So the Lord is saying to the people, man, to obey <coughs> is better than sacrifice. Just just walk <coughs> in, in the way I'm walking. I'm not asking for your burnt offerings. I don't want them. <laughs> Stop bringing them. Bring me your life. But this command I give, obey my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in all the way that I command you that it may be well with you. It will go well with you. Follow me. The Lord has always walked what we call the path of life. The path of life is not always the easy path. He didn't say, come follow me, this is the easy path. But it is the path of life. It leads to life. There is another path, it's the path of death. It leads to death. So when we walk the way that God is calling us to walk, we're choosing to walk in life, to celebrate life, 
That there's a sanctity, a value in all life. No matter what it is. We may look at it and say, I don't understand the value in that. Well, that's okay. You don't have to. It's enough that God says there's value in that life. Whatever that life is. However that life looks. So we want to walk in the way that he commanded. But in verse 24, he says, but they did not obey or incline their ear. So they they wouldn't be obedient to what God said and they wouldn't listen to the word when it was given. But they walked in their own counsel and the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward, not forward. Now there's a little bit of a rub here. Here's a little bit of the rub we have a tendency to think that the stubbornness of their evil hearts means evil hearts are something out there. But that's not what God's word says. God's word says, remember when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what in the world? Your, your dirty disciples are not washing their hands when they eat. And you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, you know, evil doesn't come into your life from the outside. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it is desperately wicked. Those are pretty strong words, right? But we have a tendency to think, well, no, those guys are desperately wicked. You know, those guys, the ones with tattoos. Those are the wicked guys. Or maybe we say, no, the wicked guys are those guys with long hair. Or a wild, crazy, long beard. Those are the wicked guys. We have a tendency to see wickedness just like the Pharisees saw it. Where where did they see it? It's out there. It's it's that tax collector, that prostitute, or, or that person living on the street. And I'm not denying that. I'm not saying that that's not evil. What I'm denying is that it's not also in me. And how I curb... My own wickedness is by submitting to Jesus Christ. He does what he promised in Ezekiel. The Ezekiel the prophet said to the nation, I will give you what? A heart of flesh for your heart of stone. So I will fix you. I'm the solution to the wickedness inside of you. We have Jesus Christ live inside of us, right? And and now we walk in his ways and when we fail, we confess and we get up and we continue. <clears throat> and all the while, it's not a righteousness that I'm making in myself. It's a righteousness that Christ is pouring on top of me as I continue to follow him. It's his righteousness. He who knew no sin became my sin sacrifice that I might become what? The righteousness of God. I become righteous by association with Jesus Christ through submission, through trust, through faith. He justifies me. He covers me. So it's, it is within me. I always go back to the time of the exile when I think about judgment. And you have, you know, Nebuchadnezzar comes and the first group of people, there's a few famous guys. You remember some of their names? The first... Yep, that's right. He takes Daniel, uh, Ezekiel goes in the first one. He takes uh, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? That's their Babylonian names. 
These are the guys who go. And of those people, the Bible doesn't tell us, I'm not saying they're sinless, but the Bible doesn't say, oh, they did this horrible thing or they did that horrible thing. But what turns around the captivity at the end of 70 years is Daniel's prayer of repentance. Lord, forgive us. The 70 years is almost complete. Forgive us. That was the attitude, right, of of the pious, probably one of the most righteous men the world has ever known, who was repenting (laughs) before God and receiving or walking in the righteousness of God by trusting, trusting in him. So he says, verse 25, From the day that your fathers came out of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent my servants, the prophets, to them. When Jesus said, all day long we sent the prophets, what did you do to them? The people who kill the prophets. Nobody likes to hear what the prophet has to say. Nobody ever likes the word of the prophet. I sent my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. They did not listen to me or incline their ear, but but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. So the idea is each generation got progressively more wicked. That progressively they were open to more things. Does that not sound like today? progressive we all we all talk now now don't be fooled the good old days were never as good as we think but we see the progression of wickedness right things that once upon a time would have brought shame now are boasted right we have this progression of wickedness taking place and so he's saying they did worse than their fathers so verse 27 we have uh we have the lord's Again, speaking out to, to Jeremiah, so you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. And you shall say to them, this is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not accept discipline. Truth is perished, it is cut off from their lips. So all they, ha- all they had to do to live was accept punishment. Accept the punishment that God had decreed, allow that to, to come, and then live. Jeremiah 29, before you get to Jeremiah 29, 11, where we have the verse that we all put on our fridge, the Lord said to the people, just submit and live, pray for the peace of Babylon. Pray, because in the peace of Babylon, you'll have peace. God says, I'm not looking for your destruction, I'm looking for you to submit and live. Same things we say to our kids when it's bedtime. Now, hopefully we're not killing our children, but you get the idea, right? Look, all you got to do is listen. All you have to do is go to bed. All you have to do is stop whatever this behavior is, right? So we have this call. Uh, Verse 29. So he says, cut off your hair and cast it away. Raise a lamentation on the bare heights for the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. So now the call is a call of lamentation. Shave off your hair was the beginning of the Nazarite vow. Cut off all your hair. It was always a statement of mourning over sin and beginning of something hopefully better. And this is what God's saying. God's judgment was never for the destruction of his people. It was for their cleansing, for purifying, for uh, um 
calling out the remnant, calling out the real, <clears throat> letting that which is false burn away like the dredge, but to call forth those who were there. So he says, cut off your hair, mourn over your sin. Here we go. For the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have set their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. Again, the idols there within the house of God. And here's the final charge. Again, reads just like looking at uh, newspaper today. They have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. So therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be called Topheth or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. So the place where they would slaughter their children, beginning with, well, I don't know, certainly at least beginning with Manasseh, who, who buried his own children in the foundation of his palace, um, they would go into the valley of the son of Hinnom, which tradition then carried forth to it becoming the dump, the place where you throw away all the stuff you don't want. It was called in the time of Jesus, Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom. And the Lord says to Judah, you are sacrificing your children, you are taking advantage of the oppressed, you are not doing justice. So the place where you slaughtered your children, God says, I'm going to slaughter you. You're going to die in the same place. You're going to be thrown away just like they were. Literally, that's what he's going to say. This will be the valley of slaughter. Therefore, he says, uh, in those days, the days are coming, says the Lord. It will not be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Topheth, because there is no room anywhere else. The dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And none will frighten them away. And I will silence in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, for the land shall become a waste. It says, in the same place where you slaughtered your children, I'm going to slaughter you, and I'm, I will bring slaughter and silence. Scripture always uses this phrase, that the blood of the innocent cries out to God for justice. And whatever we think they did, doesn't even begin to hold a candle to us. Even in our little corner of the world, the slaughter of the innocent continues, and all indications are it will keep going. But the Lord says, amend your ways. Stop. Turn. Repent. You don't have to be destroyed. But God will judge sin. And the message to the temple given by Jeremiah is a call to repentance. It, by the way, is not the last time Jeremiah is going to give this message. We're going to hear it again. I want to say it's in 26. Jeremiah 26. He's going to use 
Similar phrases go to the same place and say, what are you guys doing? Because the reality is God never stops calling his people to repent. The question is always, will they just respond and do what God wants? Prayerfully, that's something our nation will do. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We can study your word, open your word. God, I pray that you would continue to give us understanding, direction, speak to us, God. Lord, uh, we would recognize and realize that if it was Daniel that you were calling to repent, or that Daniel's repentance brought about the, the close of the time of the exile, Maybe if we, your people, would humble ourselves and pray, you would do the same in our day. So God, I pray that we would recognize the fingerprints of God in his word directed toward us in our day to turn from sin, to no longer avoid the conflict, do what Jeremiah did. He stood in the gap as people came to worship idols and told them, stop worshiping idols. He stood in the corner of the street and he said, God doesn't want to destroy you, but he will. God will judge sin. If you will not be cleansed, then you will be judged. So Lord, I just pray that you might fill us, God, with your boldness, with your call to stand In whatever realm you give us, wherever we may have authority, wherever we may have a voice. Perhaps it is just with our children in the living room. That's okay. But may we use our voice. May we call the people to submit to the rule of the Lord God Almighty. See our nation turn and be a light. Watch as... uh, What we at one time thought was the end became the beginning. Lord, we just pray that you might move in our midst, draw us unto you, and that we might give you glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.